This is Laura Dierdo with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by John Henderson, Vice President and CIO of Chalk in Orange, California. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Before we jump into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, so I've been here at Chalk for just under four years. Uh, prior to joining Chalk, I uh, spent about 22 and a half years in Houston, Texas, Texas Medical Center. Uh, where uh, I was the assistant vice president uh, for IT operations at Texas Children's Hospital there. And uh, done a variety of different things. Uh, pretty much had responsibility uh, at some point for every area of IT uh, during that, uh, my tenure there, um, which kind of helped uh, it really position me for the role I'm in today here at Chalk. And then prior to uh, joining uh, Texas Children's, um, I, my first job under undergrad, I was a substitute teacher, middle, uh, middle school substitute teacher for about a year. Um, and I will tell you that by far has been the hardest job I've ever had, including the one I'm in today. Wow, that's fantastic to hear. And I can imagine, you know, working with children in that capacity is just a, a very unique and, and um, interesting experience. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, tremendous respect for, for teachers, uh, especially in today's environment with the pandemic. Um, but what I will say, you know, one of the things that uh, that experience taught me and really helped me um, um, in my leadership career is really uh, getting that sense and understanding that everyone has a different personality. Uh, and when you're teaching in substitute for middle school, you really get a chance to see all the different personalities of, of the students. And you know, it's not much different when you're in, in leadership and you have a team you're responsible for. Um, you know, everyone has their own personality and their own motivations. And uh, understanding that uh, will really help you uh, be effective with leading, the, uh, leading those teams. That's a great way to look at things. I know we'll be talking a lot about teams and leadership today throughout the conversation. My first question is, what are your top priorities and how do you anticipate they're going to change in the coming year? Well, you know, great question. Um, some of our top priorities, uh, obviously we're still supporting uh, the pandemic, uh, supporting vaccinations for, uh, for our organization. So uh, heavy emphasis there, and we'll continue to do that. Um, we're considering becoming a community vaccination site. So uh, working uh, with our operational executives on that planning in case we're, we, we wind up getting selected to do that. Um, I'll say the other things that are top priorities for us are digital patient experience. Uh, as well as uh, physician EMR optimization. Um, we're also uh, paying a lot of attention to our remote workforce um, over the past year. You know, we did a lot of things quickly, just like everyone else across the country. And we've continued to try to enhance capabilities to make the experience uh, as efficient and as effective as possible. So we don't want to lose sight of that. So we keep our eyes uh, focused on, on that aspect. And then um, one other thing, we have a pretty large facility expansion that we planned prior to the pandemic. We're still moving forward with it. And so we're in the, the design stage of that right now. And part of the remote workforce aspect of it uh, will play into kind of what, what our new facilities will look like, what our support services buildings will look like um, as we try to forecast how many people will stay remote once we're through the pandemic versus how many people will be on site and and the implication of that with uh, with our new facilities. You know, I think uh, the other part of the question, uh, what do I think will change? 
Um, you know, to be honest, I don't know that there will be a significant change in uh, in the priorities. Uh, obviously, from a supporting uh, the COVID vaccination side, that'll shift, um, and it may become more of an op- uh, an annual operational uh, activity that we that we have to do. But the pay- the digital patient experience uh, will continue to be a focus. I uh, will continue to move down that path because that's one of those journeys that I think is never over, and you just continue to uh, enhance and refine. Uh, based on what your what your your population is looking for and the services that you're looking to provide, uh, I think from a physician EMR perspective, that may adjust some. Uh, it is a a program approach where we're looking at how do we make the EMR uh, optimized for our physician community. So there is an end date to that, and once you get beyond that end date, um, it's really more of how do you sustain it. Um, so the, it may not be as much of a big program uh, once we get to the end but it's something we'll have to continue to pay attention to. Got it. Thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, I have one follow-up question. When you're thinking about the digital patient experience, what are you noticing that um, your patient base and and, um, the children and their parents are really looking for and what do you plan on doing first, I guess, or what is, you know, kind of the, at the top of the list and improving that digital patient experience? So we're we're focused on a lot of pre-visit activities. So um, one of the things that we've heard from our patients, patient families is filling out paper forms. I get to the clinic and then I have to fill out a form. You give me a clipboard. And so what we're introducing first is a lot of those types of things where you can do those things at home. You can do them on your mobile device. We're really focused on mobile, um, trying to meet our patients, patient families where they are. And, and most most of uh, our patient, our population, they do 70 of their things on their mobile device. And so we want to meet them where they are. So a lot of focus there. Uh, We're also looking at uh, mobile check-in, make that easier so you don't have to actually wait until you physically get into the the clinic to do your check-in. You can do that from your phone, whether it's uh, as you're walking up, whether it's once you're in the garage, uh, give you a lot of flexibility there. Uh, Doing bill pay and co-pays is a key part of it, as well as uh, integrating any of those pre-visit forms uh, into the EMR within the workflow for uh, for the clinicians and, and and the front office staff, just to make that visit as efficient not only for the patient but also for uh, the providers who are providing the care. So that's kind of our uh, our, our focus initially, and then once we get through that, uh, we'll continue to look at some of the other elements, whether it's related to um, doing just-in-time surveys uh, post post visit, so we can get a sense of what was the experience. Was it what we expected? Was it uh, was there anything that we can do uh, differently or better and try to really interact and interject uh, in real time to do customer uh, customer recovery in case uh, the experience wasn't exactly what we desired. I think the other thing that we'll be focused on is the ability to do uh, direct scheduling. Um, that's another thing that's of interest, particularly in the primary care uh, clinics and then also in our specialty clinics. Um, so we want to be able to offer that ability to do that as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for describing that and going a little bit more in depth about some of the digital patient experience things that you're working on um, today and, and have on the horizon. Um, now my next question is, what are you most excited about and what makes you nervous? So uh, the digital patient experience, super excited about that. Um, because it's just really going to help us really match the clinical services that we provide with the technology enablement to make that experience 
well-rounded and give it the full depth. So really excited about what we're going to do there. And even once we get through this initial um, wave of capabilities, continue to really expand and grow that. Um, excited about what we're doing with telemedicine. Uh, it's a part of digital patient experience, um, but really looking to make that experience even better, uh, building deeper integration with uh, not only from the EMR, but with our telemedicine platform, with our patient portal, uh, as well as with uh, some of our patient engagement uh, uh, solutions that we're offering. Uh, really trying to make that experience as seamless and frictionless as possible for our patients. So really excited about that. Um, another thing, business automation. Um, and what I mean by business automation, it's a, it means a couple of different things. It means um, chatbots, uh, machine learning capabilities. How do we embed those capabilities, not only inside as part of our, our, our operational workflows, but also how do we introduce some of those things uh, externally? Um, analytics associated with that. How do we harness the power of the wealth of information and data that we have, not only from our EMR, but from our ERP systems, from a variety of, of platforms that we have, and really leverage that information to drive decision-making across the organization. I'm really excited about continuing to advance and, and enhance those capabilities. It's a great point and interesting to see everything that is going on, you know, in addition to some of the um, digital patient experience things, I, I think it's really interesting to think about the business automation and analytics aspect of it as well. Um, is there anything uh, on your side that is a little bit uh, challenging or makes you nervous when you think about it going forward? Well, I, I will say um, I have a personality style that nothing really makes me nervous. Um, I am someone who looks at every situation as uh, a problem to be solved and every problem has a solution. So that's exciting to me. doesn't make me nervous, but from a challenging perspective, um, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention cybersecurity. Um, you know, cybersecurity is such a fluid uh, thing that you have to be constantly vigilant and we're doing a tremendous amount uh, in that space. We'll continue to do, do so. Um, but that is probably the one area that is, there's just so much going on that um, uh, you just have to always be prepared. And there's, uh, no matter what you, what, what you do with uh, shoring up your capabilities, that can change two days from now. You can feel like you're at the end of the, end of the path, and then the next thing is, is, is there. And then now you have to prepare for that. So it's a constant, continuous uh, stream of activities that uh, will always be a challenge. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, my final question is around leadership. What are your top three pieces of advice for aspiring leaders today? Oh, you're going to hold me to three. Okay. That's going to be tough, but I'm going to do my best. Um, so I will start with everything's a situation. And what I mean by that is, as you uh, move into leadership roles and or even if you are in an individual contributor role, any situation that comes your way needs to be triaged in the context of what that situation is. Even if two, three weeks later, a month later, two months down the road, you're presented with a similar situation. You can't default to automatically say, I handled this four weeks ago. I'm going to do the exact same thing I did four weeks ago. Um, I, I, I subscribe to really think about what the context of that situation is, because there can be some differences, some nuances, 
that really require you to make a very different decision than the one you made four weeks ago or three months ago, even though the situation may be similar. So I strongly uh, always give that advice. Um, Treat every situation as if it's an individual situation. You apply guiding principles to it, but understand the context because you really want to make sure you're making the right decision at the right time. I'll say one other uh, word of advice is really invest time in understanding the people you work with, not just the people within your team, but your customers, uh, other, other, other departments that you work with. Um, and I say invest the time because it does take time to really get a take. It, it really takes time for you to really get a chance to learn and understand and get to know people, not only what they do, what they do well, but also as a person. One of the most important things um, as a leader is people need to know that you see them and not just see them as someone who is going to complete a task for you. They need to know that you see them as a person who has a ton of other things that they are maybe dealing with in their life that has nothing to do with the job that they've been hired to do. Uh, And so that is extremely important. Um, If you can do that, then you are setting yourself up for success with being able to lead teams that makes up a ton of different personalities, similar to what I described earlier, that lesson I learned uh, as a substitute teacher. Understanding those personalities is critical to being an effective leader and being able to lead teams. I'm choosing the word leader very deliberately. I'm not saying manager. I'm not saying manage the team. I'm saying leading the team. Very different. Very different. And I'll say the last piece of advice I would give would have to do with giving constructive feedback. It's something that, you know, it gets talked about a lot, but it's not something that I I feel like people really get the education and opportunity to learn how to do. That's a really important skill set to develop because it really sets the stage for how do you help people grow? How do you help your, the folks that you're responsible for learn from a situation that didn't go well so that they know how to apply something different the next time so they can be better the next time? Um, and one of the things about that constructive feedback uh, that I find to be successful is it's not punitive. It's not about conveying, here's what you did wrong. It's about talking through what were we trying, what were the outcome we were trying to, to achieve? What outcome did we actually achieve? And what could have been done differently so we got the outcome that we, that we desired or we expected? And having the person that you're giving that feedback to play a role in, 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 in sharing what they think could have been done differently. They have to walk away with, with something positive about knowing here's what I can do better next time. Um, because if they don't walk away with something positive that they can do, then what you've done is you just had a conversation to tell them that they, that they failed without a way to be better the next time. So I think those are kind of my three big things. 
that's a really great point, John, in terms of looking at, you know, how you can make sure that people aren't only understanding the problem, but really know how to fix it and have a great solution when they're going away from those types of conversations. And I really liked your point as well in talking about investing time and understanding the people that you work with all the way around your team, um, other departments, as well as your customers. And then finally, making sure that you're treating every situation as an individual situation and really understanding the context uh, before you move forward with any type of solution. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really informative and fascinating conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you. My pleasure.